0: morning,
1: everyone. Uh, We're starting a new series this morning, uh, our series on knowing God, and want to take you to a passage that's one of the, the pivotal or key passages where God reveals who He is and His heart for us. So I'd like you to read together with me from Jeremiah chapter 31. It's on your bulletin. I love it when the church reads God's Word together. So let's read. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. One of the things that's happening a lot as I talk to people about God or I talk to people about faith is that many people are telling me that they... They just reject the concept of God altogether. And what I find with many of them is they really know nothing about God, and they especially have no idea that the God who has revealed himself in the Bible is not a concept, not, a, not just some it, but actually a person. A person who wants to have intimate relationship with his people. And so I, I want to do this study over the next nine months of us coming into a deeper and, and more intimate, personal relationship with God together. To allow Him to reveal who He is and what He's all about to us. And then for us to respond. You see, you're not responding to a concept. You're responding to a person. And when you respond to that person, something happens. Now, one of the most successful speakers that's ever lived, one of the most Successful writers that's ever lived is a man by the name of C.H. Spurgeon. He was a preacher in London. He preached to tens of thousands in London and everything he ever said got published and tens of thousands to a hundred thousand books were sold by just off of what he had written or what he'd said. He was an amazing, amazing guy. Here's what he says about the knowledge of God though. He says, nothing will so enlarge the intellect. Nothing so magnified the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Yeah, you understand what he's saying? He's saying you have limited your capacity. You have limited your soul. You have limited your intellect by not pursuing what you were made for, and that's to know God. Now, one of my professors uh, he was a visiting professor at seminary, but whenever he was there, I would always go and listen to him and, and sit in and just try to absorb everything he was saying was a man by the name of J.I. Packer. And uh, Packer was a brilliant scholar. And because he had a British accent, he just sounded so much smarter than all the rest of us anyway. And so Packer wrote a book and it came out in the like, late 60s, early 70s called Knowing God. And it was his most popular book that he ever wrote. And here's what he had to say. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you can waste your life and lose your soul. See, you may be new to us this morning, you may be visiting with us. I just want to tell you we love you. We're glad you're here. But the biggest thing for us is we don't want you to waste your life and we really don't want you to lose your soul. And so in order to do that, you, you have to open up your heart, not just to the concept of God, but to the person and to a personal relationship with God. Our God is knowable. The Bible says over and over again that it was written so that you may know. Not just to know, but but to have an encounter with the living God. See, it's not enough to know about God. I've met people who can describe God accurately and theologically really well, but have never had an encounter with God. And I have met people who describe it terribly, but it's clear they've had an encounter with the living God. The important thing, friend, is that you have an encounter with the God of the Bible because He reveals who He is. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to know what he's all about. So I want to talk about two things, the importance of knowing God and then the nature of knowing God. And, and this isn't just knowing about God. This is actually coming into a relationship with God. And so this passage that I had you read with me today, it talks about how you come into relationship with God. And God speaks of relationship through covenant. He makes a covenant. Our God is not superficial. He's not here today and gone tomorrow. He's not around just, oh God, I'm in trouble. Please, you know, I didn't do my homework. Please make the teacher forget that she even gave the homework. Or are these kind of moments where you make bargains. I will never ask anything else from you again. Kind of stupidity that we do. You see, that's not God. That's superstition. That's it's not going to work. The God of the Bible is a God of covenant. He's coming to you with intentionality. He's coming to you with passion. And he, the only thing that can compare to what He wants from you is the, the human concept of marriage and a marriage covenant. He even calls Himself Husband. And he comes and he says, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a new covenant with you. Well, every covenant in every marriage has legal conditions. It has legal ramifications. I do a lot of weddings. Most of them I really enjoy doing, except for the ones where I know it's not going to (laughs) work. And then I try to break them up, but sometimes I'm not successful. Uh, I, I, I am fascinated, though, that the strongest commitment at most weddings is to the dress. They said, more I do to the dress than they have to each other. There is more commitment to the reception. What's going to happen at the reception? You know, the thing that has legal ramifications, the thing that you're vowing is almost, let's just get that over with. The promises that are being made, I mean think about the traditional promises that I'm gonna I'm gonna be legally committed to you till death, which I might want to make happen. It's a good thing God hasn't answered a lot of married people's prayers. Take him home now. I've heard people pray that before.
0: Set me free.
1: Think about the the promises made. Richer, poorer. Nobody means poorer. (laughs) Better, worse. Everybody's thinking it's going to get better. Only it always gets worse. See, legal commitments. But no one notices that because there's a dress. There's a reception. There's dancing. There's food. If there's enough drink, no one notices anything. (laughs) Do you you understand what I'm saying? Here's what the Bible says. Better better to not make a vow than to make a vow and break it. So what does God do? He makes a vow. That's what a covenant is. It's God's vow to you. And He says, I'm making a new one with you. And here are the terms. Well, let's look at the old terms first. The old covenant and the old terms was this. God said, I want a people for Myself. And He was so intentional and passionate that He, he appeared in awesome manifestations of fire and, and cloud and rain and His voice. He appeared in such ways to His people and He spoke to His people. As a matter of fact, when you see movies of what God did, you need Steven Spielberg or George Lucas to make the movie because you have to have the special effects of a Red Sea that parts of a river that's crossed, of all of these different things. God so much wanted a people that He was willing to make Himself visible. We call these things theophanies. This is worth the price of admission. Just say it with me. Theophany is an appearance of God in the natural. God wanted Himself to be known in such a way. But, the, but as He was... Appearing to his people, he appeared in a powerful way to his servant Moses, who, friends, was just as broken as you are. And he spoke to Moses and and he gave the law. And the law is not where God is trying to destroy your life. The law is God saying, this is my character. This is who I am. I don't lie, so I don't want you to lie. I'm not unfaithful, so I don't want you to be sexually unfaithful. I am the one who will satisfy your soul. So I don't want you to look at your neighbor and say, oh, I want what my neighbor has instead of looking to your source and saying, he has all that I need. See, the problem problem with that old covenant is that the people could not fulfill it. They could not keep their requirements. Even though God gave them a tabernacle where he dwelt with his visible glory He gave them a temple and a place where they could draw near to Him. They could approach Him in the temple and yet they took His temple and they made it into a place where it was so stunk up with sacrifices because they were constantly rebelling against God and then trying to kill animals to appease Him even though they had no obedience in their own hearts. See, God had given them requirements but they couldn't keep it so the covenant could not be kept Because, you see, when there's a covenant and you don't keep the requirements, you don't get the benefits. I mean, even in our day, if you make a contract and you don't do the work, you don't get paid. And so when you have a covenant, God said, here's the requirements. If you keep these, then the blessings will be yours. The benefits will be yours. And even though they had the awesome manifestations, even though they had the the law of God spoken by the prophet Moses, even though they had the temple and the Shekinah glory of God, they could not keep the requirements. So they could not receive the benefits. So Jesus, Jesus said, I'll make a new covenant with you. Every single thing in this new covenant is through Jesus Christ. Here, here is the difference between the old covenant. In the old covenant, the people had to keep the requirements to get the benefits. In the new covenant, Jesus keeps the requirements and you get the benefits. Come on, can you hear me on that? Jesus kept the requirements so that you get the benefits. If you don't understand that this new covenant is bolder and richer and full of grace and you want to still try to live in the Old Covenant, you're an idiot. Uh (laughs) It is not a deal. Because you can't keep it. Moses couldn't keep it. Moses didn't even get to enter the Promised Land. Joshua couldn't keep it. The people of Joshua's day couldn't keep it. Even though they saw the river part, they saw the walls fall down. Even though they saw the manifest presence of the warrior king, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, even though they saw all of that, they still could not be obedient. It is only through Jesus Christ's obedience that any of us get to have a personal relationship with God. You see, He is the truth. He doesn't just give us the truth. He says, I am the truth. And when he reveals himself, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Everything that you need to know about God, you can know through Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing. But more than that, it says not only this, but our our, our, our God became flesh. And then it uses a very intentional word. It says he tabernacled among us we beheld His glory. That's referring back to the temple and the glory in the temple. But then Paul takes it even further. He says, you and I, through belief in Jesus Christ, by receiving the finished work of Jesus Christ, he says, we become the temple of God ourselves. That He indwells us even in a greater way, a better way than He indwelled the temple. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when we are together, friends, you may be the least or you may be the greatest in the room, it doesn't matter. When we are together, we are the temple of God. You are each living stones. And He's the cornerstone. Now, you may be feeling right now the chisel of God on your stones. And He tends not to use anesthesia. But every single thing that he's doing is to bring you into greater intimacy. Can, can you see it this way? He is the great sculptor. And he is chipping away everything that's not you that you think is you. So that you can fit. So you conform to the image of Christ Jesus, his son. Look at what he promises in this new covenant. Every one of my people will know me. Now... Let's think about that a little bit together. What does that mean? Well, it means this. The demarcation or the the grand characteristic of any Christian is that they know their God. And anyone that knows their God is a Christian. Anyone who says, I don't know God is not a Christian because the covenant is you will know me. You will have an encounter with me. So in other words, it's not about your morality or your behavior. It's not about necessarily whether you're a Calvinist or you're an Arminian or some kind of theological category or whatever it is. It is this question. Do you know God? Have you encountered the living God? Do you have a certainty about it? John said, these things are written that you may know and knowing that you may have the life. And he who has the Son has the life. And who has not the Son has not the life. What does it mean to know? It means to have assurance. It means to have a confidence, unshakable. You may be as messed up as the next guy, but you can have an unshakable confidence that you know your God. Because He does know you. (laughs) So the issue is, in a way, has the Holy Spirit worked in your heart in such a way that you believe? That you know? That's what he said. It's not going to be that I'm going to tell you what to know and you're going to tell me what to know. You're going to know in your own heart there's going to be truth written in your heart that resonates with the very voice of God, the very heart of God. Otherwise, you're not a Christian. You might be a good person. You might be a, you know, a moral person or whatever. You might be philosophically very astute or whatever. But only those who know their God can call themselves Christians. And see, the problem for the world is that for us, this is normal. For the world, this is crazy. You know, because every day I don't make a move without consulting with God. And I don't do anything without hearing from God. And so when I say to my, you know, outside the church friends, well, the Lord told me, they go, "Uh, do we need to lock you up? Do you need to get checked? Because what I find is when I tell people I have this certainty, that I have this assurance, they say, oh, you're one of those spiritually certain people. As if it's a terrible, awful thing. You see, what's really in vogue right now is to be spiritually uncertain. As a matter of fact, the elitist theological view of our day is that if you're spiritually uncertain, it's much better than if you're spiritually certain. But don't ever... Don't ever think that that's not a theological view or a religious view. Just as when someone says to you, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. They're still speaking religious elitist truth. Now, the problem is it's a truth that says there is no truth. But it still is somebody's philosophy. It's their theology in a sense. And they are saying that it compares favorably to yours. And so it's a very interesting day in which we live in. You understand why people, when people hear the Ten Commandments, they can't understand the Ten Commandments. Not because the Ten Commandments aren't understandable, but because you only really love the Ten Commandments if you love the God who gave the Ten Commandments. Only when you want to serve Him, when you love Him, when you want to obey Him, do the Ten Commandments make sense to you. In the same way, there's some sense in which how can Christmas or Easter make any sense except that you know the Savior who was born in Bethlehem and the Savior who died for you on a cross and who rose again from the dead on the third day. Otherwise, you got to have Santa Claus and Easter bunnies. Because it doesn't make any sense. Are you tracking with me on this? So what happens is often I'm, I'm told I am arrogant. I'm arrogant for believing with definiteness, with assurance, saying that I know that I know. You know Or another way that people sometimes characterize, I've had people say, "That's terrifying." And I say, "Why is it terrifying?" He says, "Do you know the secrets that I have? Do you know the shame, the guilt? Do you know the things that I have committed?" You see, the person who says it's arrogant to believe that you can know God has never met God. But the person who says it's terrifying to think that you can know God has never understood the gospel. Here is the gospel. (laughs) I am so evil, friends. I am so sinful that Christ had to die for me. But I am also so loved that he chose to die for me. See, I, yes, I can face every secret that I have. I can face every shame that I have. I can face all the guilt that I have. And I can come in confidence to the, and boldness to the throne of grace, to the very presence of God. Not because of me, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the one who died for me is the one who loves me. And he's the one who invites me to come near to him. People who... Say that we're arrogant because this is normal for us, have never met our God. But those who say it's terrifying have never understood the gospel. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He who was actually righteous became legally sinful, so that we who are actually sinful might become legally righteous. How that, only one hallelujah out of that. (laughs) Can't you just say amen every now and then, even you introverts? (laughs) Don't make me do all the work. Jesus, in every way and in very elaborate ways, has made it possible for you to know God and to know that you know God. This is the awesome thing. I know myself. I know my secrets. I know my brokenness. I know my bankruptcy spiritually. And yet, in the midst of that, I know that I know that I know. There's a vault in my soul that says, I know him. I know his voice. I know who he is. I know what he's about. And yet, at the same time, because I'm finite and he's infinite, there's always more to know. It is the most fascinating study of your life to study God. See, whether you know it or not, you're actually made to know him. And that longing deep in your soul, that, that Gap that's there is only filled when you know him from the top of your being to the bottom of your soul. (laughs) And what you find is he knows you from the top to the bottom. He knows you all the way to the bottom, but he loves you all the way to the top. Hmm. Here's what he says this is his covenant, this is his marriage covenant with you personally they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Whether you're the least in this room, you might say, I'm the least. I am, I am the greatest sinner in this room. I am the least worthy. Whatever it is, you might be that person. And yet his covenant promise where Jesus kept the requirements for you so you could have the benefit says, if you're the least, then you're the object of his love. He wants you to know him. And if you're the greatest, you probably need to realize you're actually the least so that you actually can know him. <laughs> Well, what's the nature of a personal relationship with God? Well, the nature of a personal relationship with God is the nature of any personal relationship. And any intimate relationship has these, these two factors that are, are mutually and willingly shared. A sharing of truth and a sharing of love. And, and, and listen, you can't have a personal relationship with anybody that is coerced that is controlled, or that is commanded. That's not personal. It's only personal if it's voluntary. It's only personal, and it's only intimate if it's mutual. And so the idea of sharing truth is this, that in order to have a deep and satisfying relationship, you have to feel like you're being listened to. But you also have to be able to listen And when you listen, you're not just hearing what's being said, but you're hearing the heart. You're hearing what matters. You're hearing the person. There's a revelation in that. And then sharing of love is is that it is not an intimate personal relationship if you're not both being loved and giving love. So every truly satisfying relationship has these two elements. The sense of, I'm sharing with you the deep truths of our life. There's revelation. There's I'm listening to you. You're giving me something to listen to. I was once doing a marriage counseling for this this older couple in Mississippi, and uh, the wife was at the end of her rope with this husband, and he looked at her and he said, he said, "Did I? He goes, uh, did I tell you I loved you when we got married?" Well, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. (laughs) And she just went, oh gosh. She just wanted to give up. And he had a gun, so I didn't go any further. Uh, (laughs) You understand, they did not have a personal relationship, though they were married. They did not have an intimate relationship because he never gave her anything to listen to. And he never listened to her. She had been saying for 30, 35, 40 years, please talk to me. Please share your heart with me. Please tell me, at least tell me you love me. And he said, I told you once, I'm never going to tell you again. You understand what he's saying there? He's saying, I don't want a personal relationship. You see, if somebody is not revealing themselves, then they're not having a relationship. If somebody is not listening to what you reveal about yourself, then you're not having... A relationship. Here's God's promise. He's gonna He puts the truth in your heart. And this is this is what's so special and intimate about this relationship. He says in this covenant, you will be mine and I will be yours. You understand in a healthy way, the thing your soul most wants, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or you're a man, if you're a boy or you're a girl, what it's the thing we most want is to belong. We don't want to be controlled. We don't want to be abused. We don't want to be violated. We don't want someone to be possessive of us. Those kind of things are unhealthy and they need to stop. But at the heart of every person is to have that legitimate sense. I belong to somebody. Somebody belongs to me. Like One of the most precious things that I ever hear my wife say is she says, Mike is my husband. You see, because that means a lot to me. She, she's earned that place. She, she, you know, she's got that place for me. Uh, another thing that really warms my heart is I sometimes will hear some of you saying, because we're a part of this church together, and I will hear some of you say, Pastor Mike is my pastor. Amen. You see, when someone says that, you know we have a relationship. We have bonds. We have intimacy we have something that matters to us that makes us feel like we belong and what here's what god is saying to you through this covenant you are my son you are my daughter you know how important that is you remember when thomas said i'll not believe until i see the hands and see the scars and see the side and see the feet But as soon as he saw the Lord, there's nothing there that says he touched those hands or those feet or anything else. Or said, lift up your shirt, let me see the side. It says he fell down on his face. And you know what he said? My Lord and my God. My. You understand what I'm saying? Not just the God. Not just the Lord. My Lord. My Lord it's very personal very personal and that's what that's what this covenant is about but you have to listen to him he's not yours if you're not listening you won't know what is yours if you're not listening it's okay those of you who are having a nap in jesus right now unless it's a demon Putting you to sleep when the word is spoken. You know, sometimes when you're praying, you need a little nap. But if every time you pray, you get a little nap, then it's probably a demon. Because you see, the demons know he wants you to know my Lord and my God, my Savior, my friend, my Jesus. Jesus. And if they can keep you from that, then they can keep the relationship impersonal and keep it from being intimate. Listening. Being able to listen. Think about this with me. God is opening up to you, revealing himself to you. I mean, I'm asked all the time, just because I'm a pastor, somebody goes, do you know Pastor So-and-so over in Alaska? (laughs) Because all we pastors know each other, I guess. And sometimes you say, do you know Dr. So-and-so or Reverend So-and-so or whatever? And I might know their last name or something. But if they have not revealed themselves to me in a personal way, we have no relationship. Can I, I want to explain this to you. You can study an object. For example, if you want to figure out what car to drive, you can get every single thing about the car on every website that does cars. You cannot legitimately know a person unless that person reveals the knowledge to you. In very many ways, if you are not listening and someone's not revealing, you have no relationship. I love my mom. She passed away numerous years ago. We had an amazing time of healing at the end, but my mom never listened to me. And it drove me crazy because I want to be understood and I wanted her to understand. She wanted me to enter her world, but she would never enter my world. And it used to drive me crazy. It's one of those things, you know, that just irritates you. And I know some of your moms right now are going, you're a terrible son, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) But here's what it was. My mom would do things for me, but she didn't know me. So she would do things that didn't connect with me in any way. But she expected me to go on and on about them. And what bugged me is she didn't listen. Because I was telling her what I, I cared about. I was revealing to her what I really wanted. So, one example is, for 20 years, she bought me a white milk chocolate bunny rabbit from the dollar store for Easter. I would have rather had the dollar. It would have tasted better. <laughs> and for 20 years, she gave me this thing like it was a big deal, and I'm like, this thing sucks. I mean, it's so bad. And so I'm eating it going, thanks, Mom. You know, trying to fake her. I'm not good at faking, so... I got to be 33. I said, this is enough. <laughs> I said, mom, I hate this. It's horrible. You can, Actually, friends, you could go right now and buy one at the dollar store. It's called Palmer White Chocolate Rabbit. It will last for another thousand years because <laughs> there's nothing organic. or It's just chemical. And so... <laughs> I, I know that I know this because Jamel Patterson, after I told the story once, went and bought me one. Mm. Let me just spell it out: Godiva, <laughs> Giradelli. It's not speaking in tongues, you know. So when I told her, she just broke down. Oh, I sorry crying and all this stuff. I said, wasn't the gift supposed to be about me? I guess it was really about you. I'm not trying to pick on my mom, although I little, maybe. I'm trying to say is you can be in relationships with someone and because you don't listen. Even though they're revealing themselves, you don't know them. You can only know God if you listen. You can only know Him. And and one of the issues that many of us have is we speed through the Bible. I'm going to read my Bible in a year. Stop it! (laughs) You're, You're to have an encounter with the God of the Bible. And so what you need to ask is, Lord, what are you speaking to me now? I've been memorizing Scripture since I was five years old. But I'll tell you, what changed my life was when I started saying, it's not just what I'm learning. It's not just getting the details of the Bible. It's asking God, what are you saying to me? His Word is living. Sharp. Well, so listening to God, I'm going to be a little rough on you. Unless you believe that the Bible is reliable, you'll never be able to know God personally. See, if the source of information of someone is not reliable, then you don't know the person. Communication has to be reliable or you have no basis for a personal relationship. So last, uh, last summer I, I was uh, preaching in a church in Hawaii. Now somebody's got to do those tough jobs. <laughs> so I was preaching at this church. It actually was a tough job because it was my father-in-law's uh, funeral service. And uh, so before I went in the church, I, I went online and I, I did some checking on the church to see what their, their, kind of their, their views were. So I saw this phrase, this motto, and it said, God is still speaking. And at first I went, oh great, that means they, they love the Holy Spirit. Or maybe they, they really allow the Spirit to speak with the Word and all of these things. And I searched a little further and it, nope, that wasn't what it meant. It meant that what what the Bible has to say is outdated and untrustworthy. And that what God is saying now about sexuality and gender and all of these other things is far more reliable than what we are saying than what the Bible has to say. And I realize, oh my goodness, do you understand? God isn't speaking if we're just making it up. If we're just saying, oh, that you know, that was just people who didn't know much, we know so much more. And you begin to just now, you're, you're, you have no anchor to revelation. You have no anchor to transcendent truth. You have no anchor to what is reliable. See, I can't make you believe the Bible today, but I can tell you there are consequences for not believing the Bible. And the consequences are severe. What happens is you get a confidence when you know that the Bible is speaking to you so that you know God is speaking to you. That God wants you to hear His voice. That God wants you to follow. But you can't follow if you don't listen. So the second part of this then is is you have to to know that God's listening to you. See, anytime you have a relationship and the listening isn't happening, the relationship breaks down. A a half-listening husband always has a very upset wife. I know this by experience. (laughs) Because there are many times I like to play like I'm listening when I'm really not listening. And I'll miss a key point. And she goes, are you listening to me? And I'm like, sort of. And she'll go, she doesn't go, you're not listening to me right now. She'll say, you never listen to me. Which I then argue, well, I can tell you five or six times when I actually listen to you. (laughs) Or I can recognize that's code for right now she needs me to focus. So if there's going to be an intimate relationship between me and Lisa, I have to focus. I have to hear what she's saying and I have to know why she's saying it and, and what it means. And when that happens, she feels close to me and I feel close to her. But if I'm not listening doesn't happen. Now, the other thing is this. Sometimes you'll think someone's not listening to you because they're not giving you what you want. Here's a hard part, but this is the sign of maturity. He knows more than you actually know yourself. Amen. And he knows what's better for you. And he knows what to give you, even when you want something that you want it so badly, but he knows it's bad and he knows it's destructive for you. The longer you walk with God and the more you know God, the less you trust yourself. The person you begin to mistrust is not the silence of God, but my own adrenaline and my own desperation and my own answers that I give. It's a fascinating thing that God answers the prayer you should have asked to train you how to ask what you should ask. Watch and see what He actually answers. That's what you should have asked for. Now, in my personal life, I've learned this the hard way. When I, when I got married, I was 21. I thought I was the most brilliant man on the face of the earth. I was full of confidence. Uh, my wife loves to say, how can somebody with your ability have the confidence that you have? Because I screw up a lot. I messed up a lot. But I would go to her with utter confidence and say, we're going to do this, Lisa, and here are five reasons why we're going to do it. She'd go, no. <laughs> I said, give me reasons why not to. No. And I'd go, but I need a reason. She says, I just know this is not the right thing to do. So I would do it anyway. And then she would go, I told you so. <laughs> Because she was right. For nine years, I was wrong. She was always right. It kills me even to this day. <laughs> she, I would have said to you in those nights, she doesn't listen to me. She doesn't want what I want. I would have said all kinds of things. But you know what I know now? She knew me better than I knew myself. She was actually listening much better than I was listening. Can you hear me? Even if God seems like He's saying no to you, He's only saying no because He knows you better than you know yourself. If He's silent with you, He's only being silent so you will stop screaming and yelling and acting like a child. Because everything that He's doing is trying to teach you who you are and who He is. See, the results, the outcomes of your life that really matter to you, they're all outside of your control. If a result or an outcome does not happen, then you can be sure God is working so that you will know Him. And so you will be healed. So the last part of intimacy. The first part is listen. You listen to Him. And then you realize He's listening to you even when you don't don't think He is. But the last part is this. You cannot... You cannot, friends, you cannot give him love unless first you have received his love. The Bible says it this way. We love him because he first loved us. There is no way you cannot produce in your soul, you cannot produce the love that God wants to pour out on you. Can you hear this? God says, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Who else can love you like that? Even people who forgive you will not necessarily forget. They will still hold it against you at times. So much as we see the love of God, so much we shall delight in Him and no more. You see, as much as you've experienced His love is the degree to which you delight in Him. If you've not experienced His love, there's little delight in you in Him. Here's what John Owen said, uh, a lot of English Puritans today the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. Every anxiety you have, every worry you have, every lie, every attempt to meet your own needs in illegitimate ways, every single one of those things is the deepest unkindness to the Father. You are refusing His love. Think about this with you. Every time you're anxious, do you know what you're saying? You can't take care of me. Every time you worry, you're saying, I have to take care of myself. I am the only one who can satisfy me. Every lie you ever tell is saying, I can't, I can't trust Jesus as a Savior. Jesus wouldn't have me speak the truth. I have to save myself. And only this lie is going to save me. Every attempt, like to cheat or to get things in illegitimate ways, is saying, Lord, you're not Jehovah Jireh. You're not my provider. I'm my provider. And every one of them is a slash of unkindness to the Father. Does your heart melt with His love? Well, we receive His love so we can give Him our love back. Worship, praise, prayer, obedience. These are acts of love. This is us deciding, you love me so much, I'm going to love you back. I, I, sometimes I, don't, I haven't understood just why is worship so important? Why is praise so important? Until I started to see how my own relationships function. Like when I, when I teach and when I preach, people are very kind quite often. And they say nice things to me. And it is affirming. And I love approval. I love those kind of things. But you know what? If somebody is not kind to me, it doesn't matter. If I spoke the truth, there's only one person I answer to. But, but I'll tell you this. I have such a deep and intimate relationship with my wife that in many ways I wait to hear what she has to say. And uh, if she says it is good, because my wife tends to undersell things just a little bit, I know it was great. <laughs> I, I receive it because, I see, she has been there and said... That wasn't so good. I remember one time she said, you got the plane up, honey, but you never landed it. (laughs) When I was first learning to preach, we were driving home from this little town and I preached at this little church and she goes, you understand, you were the only one laughing at your jokes today, right? (laughs) You understand, she never flatters me. She never just says it because you know, she thinks uh, I need it. She says it because it's true. She says it from her heart. So whether it's a, a constructive criticism or it's praise, whatever it is, it's real. And because of the intimacy I have with her, it means everything to me. You understand when you begin to worship God because it's real. And you begin to speak praise to him because it's true to you. Because something's been activated in your heart. And you begin to say, Lord, you are good. And you're not just saying it like a cliche. And you're not saying it because somebody else says it. All those things. But it begins to be because you're intimate with him. And you begin to praise him. He inhabits that praise. And you begin to experience his presence like none other. And your life begins to be satisfied because truth begets love and love begets truth. And something begins to be so real in you and you know what you were made for. Listen to this. This is one of the great theologians of the English Puritan movement. His name was Samuel Rutherford. He writes all the time this very technical theological stuff. But in the midst of it, he said this. Tonight, as I was communing with God, he put my head on his shoulder And he bid me worry no more. You know what? I've seen this vision that right beside you right now is the Lord Jesus Christ taking you in his arms, calling you my son, my daughter, laying your head on his shoulder and saying, I bid you to worry no more. I got this. I got you. You belong to me. They can't get to you lest they go through me. But how can that be true except this other statement be true? And this is John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress. In that book, he talks about a man called Christian who meets Jesus, meets, comes to faith. And here's, here's the moment of transformation. Just as Christian came up to the cross, this is the man, Christian, his burden loosed from off his shoulders. It fell off his back and began to tumble down the hill. And so the burden continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher, which is a tomb, the mouth of the tomb. There it fell in, and I saw the burden no more. The requirements met, the burden falls off, and the benefits come. Stand with me. Are you with me? Three of you, I'll take it. Four. Someone counted four. Good. We're an overwhelming majority then. The presence of the Lord is very strong here today. I know the music's playing and I need to stop, but I feel His presence and sometimes it's really hard to leave when it's like this for me. Because the Lord wants you to know Him. Here's what I'm asking from you. For the next nine weeks, will you pursue him with me? Whatever you know of him, he wants to take you deeper. He wants to become more intimate. He wants you to listen and he's listening to you. He wants you to receive his love and he wants you to give his love back. You see, when you give love back in the form of praise, in the form of worship and prayer and obedience, he inhabits that place. You know what the psalmist said? said, In His presence is the fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forever. You know what David said? Surely goodness and mercy are following after me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, friends. I'm sick of being sick and tired, you know. I'm sick of not having the energy... I want want the capacity. I want intellectual capacity. I want emotional capacity. I want artistic capacity. I want all of it to be released in us. We are the temple of the living God. You are living stones. He's the cornerstone. We are being built up to the glory of God. You are to know Him from the least to the greatest. The burden has fallen off. He's forgiven your sins and remembers them no more. What an unkindness to reject that. Lord, will you seal what you're doing now? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, would you, would you hug a few people? Would you say something like, hey, he wants to know you too, or whatever it might be. Something, uh, something to encourage them today.